When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Language and content in this episode may not be appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Some voices may come from voice actors, but the words are accurate to the interview described. If you've ever seen me in person, you might guess that I only hike out of love. If you've been listening to my podcast over the last few years, you'll know that I do a fair amount of hiking in spite of that. The more frustrated I became with the lack of injustice for these women, and the more helpless I began to feel, the more I looked for ways to memorialize them in the public imagination. The same public by which they had been discarded, and from which they had disappeared more than 30 years ago. The best thing that I could think of at that time was to simply mark the locations of their bodies, the place along the interstate where they were discovered, following their murders. The shape I chose for these markers is a traditional one, the cross, which has significance to me for reasons I won't get into. The color of these crosses is red for the red-headed women they represent. But red is also the color of guilt and, of course, the color of blood. There are six of these crosses now dotting the Interstate 40 corridor and another off I-70 in West Virginia. And if you've listened to my podcast in the past, you've probably heard me huffing and puffing on my way to each one of them. There's one in Littleton, another in Barberville, Knoxville. You get the picture. Leahy, Olive Branch, Pleasant View, Newcomb, and Geraldston. 
it's become a peculiar ritual of mine and has also prompted a lifetime's worth of wide-eyed rubberneckers. I've even had a local officer pull over to ask me what on earth I was doing with this hammer and a cross where no accident had been. By the way, if you're interested, there's a map of these locations on my website, itsfoulplay.com, including the location of two more murders that are possibly related, and the site of Linda Shack's attempted murder. For three years now, I've been nailing these little red crosses into the ground. I know it doesn't mean very much, but what the hell else am I supposed to do? Forget? Walk away with the same indifference that I've resented in others? I know they don't fix anything. I know they don't make anything right. Maybe most people don't even know what they are. In fact, I'm sure they don't. I could have marked the actual burial plots. But with what? I couldn't put a name. I couldn't fit my outrage on a little stone marker. What's the character limit on those anyway? Besides putting a memorial in some remote corner of some equally remote cemetery over top of a forgotten body is only going to result in a forgotten memorial. I want people to have a look at this and in one sense to reintegrate these victims' memory back into society in that same geographical location where they disappeared from so many years ago. In my mind, it's a kind of miniature resurrection, at least of consciousness, even if it's just my own. Plus, and this one hits me the hardest of all, some of these women don't have graves, and they never will. Tina and Elizabeth were both sent to the body farm, yes? You heard me right, the body farm, which is almost exactly what it sounds like. Bodies are planted in the ground and laid on top of it. Within a confined plot of land at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Several similar farms have sprung up around the country, but the original in Knoxville was founded by anthropologist William M. Bass in the 1970s. The purpose of this is to study the way bodies break down and decompose, not over days, but over decades. The harvest of all this fertilizer is research into the way we investigate cold cases. And in that sense, we're glad victims like these are there. Better, we suppose, than a forgotten and useless pauper's grave. The remains of these women are helping forensic pathologists and forensic anthropologists understand crime scenes especially those that would have been a total mystery just a few decades ago. The Body Farm is a brilliant research initiative that's changing the way we investigate violent crime. It's also a bit of a horror show that initially relied on the unclaimed bodies of unknown victims in its early days, among them Tina and Elizabeth. Fortunately, the remains of both women have been released to their families since their positive identification. Even without them, the farm continues its annual harvest with the help of thousands of volunteers who have donated their bodies to science. Anyway, these red crosses I plant beside the interstate are not for family or even friends. In some cases, there were none of either. They're for the women, and they're also for the general public. They're reminders, however small and insignificant, of all the people who fall through the cracks. 
and how little we care when this happens. Lastly, these crosses are for me. I never had any sisters. As far as I'm concerned, I have six now, and they, very sadly, don't have any choice in this matter. If they were my sisters, like my living biological sisters, I like to think they'd be relentless, homeless dirtbags, like me. In the most picturesque corners of my imagination, I like to think we'd have bonfires at night, hilarious bonfires in rusty barrels like a group of Depression-era hobos passing around the last swig of their gin. I like to think we'd sleep outside together, or just inside, of the dripping corners of my makeshift lean-to, between the rusted porcelain mobile gas sign and the green corrugated fiberglass panels that were my home. And the stuff that I'm doing now, I'd like to think we'd be doing it together. Whatever they might have been like in life, I like to think that on the other side of their tragic final experience, they'd be as interested in putting away killers as the most enthusiastic true crime junkies. But there's no closure in these crosses. That's not what they're about. In fact, that might be the opposite of what they're about. The crosses are red for the reasons I listed earlier, but the reason they're colored at all is I wanted them to stick out. I wanted them to be memorable. I wanted people to keep thinking about them and to maybe Google them and discover each woman's story. When I finished the crosses, I reached out to a friend of mine who had been, in a past life, a truck stop worker herself. She offered to share her story with us on behalf of the women of the Redhead Murders. She had two requests. The first was that I replace her voice in our conversation with that of a voice actress. And when you hear what she has to say, you'll understand why. Her second request was that I withhold her name so she'll be known here simply as our latest Jane Doe in this story, Jane Doe number seven. I told her about the other girls and their dysfunctional home lives. I told her how they suffered at the hands of people who were supposed to protect them and how their lives have been slowly emptied of healthy relationships to the point where there were none left at all. She said, Unhealthy relationships are where it all started. My dad raped me for two years before I ran away with the man who later became my pimp and sex trafficker. My mom knew everything about me and my dad and said nothing. No one was looking out for me, even at home. I had no idea what love was, and when I left, I was looking for anyone who wasn't my dad. Ironic, isn't it? that I ended up binding him all over again in one more rapist and predator who used me for sex and money. If I had known what love was when I was growing up, I would have known better. I wouldn't have stood for it. But I was already conditioned at a young age to think that men could use me as they wish. It was like my body, their choice. All I knew were dangerous situations, so how was I supposed to recognize people who were out to hurt me? Being used was the only kind of relationship that I knew existed. How old were you when you started working at truck stops? I was 14. 
It was 1982. It's hard to talk about, and it happened so quick. We went to Florida to stay with his friends, but after we got there, he started forcing me to have sex with them in exchange for cigarettes and drugs. I was scared to say no, but sometimes I did. It didn't matter. They overpowered me, and they liked it when multiple people were involved. I learned I could either go along with it and not get beaten up, or fight back and pay the consequences. It was happening either way. Within six months, I was being sold at bars, and it was truck stops, and I was told that I had to make X amount of money that night or face the consequences, which was being beaten with a belt until you black out. Did you experience any memorable acts of kindness during that time in your life that gave you any kind of hope or relief? I was so messed up back then that I thought kindness was not getting beat up. I thought kindness meant the guy using me in that moment didn't call me a whore. Kindness was me saying, that hurts, and the guy stopping when I asked him to. Kindness was free coke after a blowjob. Really, the word itself was just a foreign term to me. The closest I got to it, I think, was... One time, a man paid me $20 to just sit in his truck and talk for 20 minutes. And also, I got a few days off work every abortion, so my body could heal. A dead cow produces no milk, after all. I felt alienated from my own body, really. It was never really mine. It belonged to my pimp and the men who paid for it. Were you friends with the other girls? Yeah, you made friends with some of the other girls. But friends isn't really the right word. But back then, they were the closest thing I had to friends. We knew each other's names, and sometimes we knew random facts about each other. But not real names. No one used those. One girl was called Texas because she had an accent and seemed to be from there. Another was called Eyes because she had a lazy eye. We tried to look out for each other, but that didn't mean much. That world belonged to men, not us. We were always in survival mode. Did you try to get out before you finally did? I never tried to get out before I did. Never. I was too scared. Some women I knew had horror stories about ladies being promised things by buyers and then getting killed. You got to remember, we were less than people. The men around us never let us forget that. Why do you think they didn't use our real names? If we heard our names, we might feel too much like real people. We might remember someone gave us a name, our families, friends, back when we had them. We were just toys, and we were always reminded of that. I didn't even know where my parents lived at that point. No money to get anywhere, no way to get out. How did you get out? A trucker beat me to the point where I passed out. When I woke up, he was driving, and I was on the floor in the back, behind the chairs. I pretended to be dead, or at least asleep. I stayed quiet and motionless for hours, until he stopped at a rest stop to use the bathroom, I assume. I waited for a bit and bolted out the door, never looked back. I kept running until eventually I got to a town, and someone called the police for me. I was really beaten up, and it was obvious I needed help. The police showed up but helped me this time and took me to a shelter for this sort of thing. The people there might have been the first in my adult life who didn't try to use me. 
Remember, I started when I was 14. I got straightened out and I never looked back. In the end, it just took one person, that first person, to see me as more than a sex toy. And it saved my life. Do you feel safe today? Are you healing? Yes, I am. I'm happy. I hate talking about this stuff, but it makes me more grateful for what I have. I have true, unconditional love for the first time in my life. At the truck stop, I knew no one was looking out for me. I knew no one cared if I was killed or whatever. That's not true anymore. Messed up relationships are what led me to being a truck stop prostitute. But relationships are where my joy is today. I've learned trust, and I feel safe. What should people like me know about the women who work at truck stops? People need to know that none of us chose this. Who gets up one morning and thinks, Oh, I should go get beat up and raped for almost no money. Get real. We get into it because we have no choice. And once we're in, getting out is harder than hell. We were nameless, faceless, toys at the mercy of our buyers and sellers. Our family didn't know where we were, and we didn't know how to leave. We were just surviving. Everyone knows this is happening. It's illegal, but nobody stops it. Where are the police? The social workers? Where are the media when they get hurt? Where are the names of the girls in your podcast? People don't care, and it's tragic, because these women are as important as anybody else. I'm not worth more today than I was then. And I don't blame the women. They're victims. People judge the women, but they don't care what the men do. They treated us like dirt. And other women who came to the truck stop looked at us like dogs. But no one was mad at the men. It's funny looking back on it now, because we were the guilty ones while the men just had needs. And not once did anyone try to help me. Not once. They stared and they judged and I have to ask myself, and your listeners, what kind of person looks at a woman who is selling sex at a truck stop and a woman who never smiles and doesn't offer to help? Attention, friends. Are you ready to embark on a journey into the unknown this Mother's Day? Prepare to dive into the depths of your family's history with mylifeinabook.com. Each week, mylifeinabook.com sends intriguing questions, uncovering the thrilling tales of your mom's past, and then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. From daring escapes to nail-biting encounters, her life becomes an epic adventure waiting to be explored. This Mother's Day, give the gift of excitement and intrigue with mylifeinabook.com. It's a thrilling ride through your mom's life that you won't want to miss. I gave this to my mom last year, and let's just say I didn't know my mom as well as I thought I did. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SHANE at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SHANE for 10% off today. Every prostitute is a life interrupted, derailed, rerouted. 
and at Americans truck stops. This is not an occupation for girls with self-esteem or for those who haven't been betrayed. This occupation chooses you through relationships that have also chosen you and predators who have, once again, chosen you. Before you know it, choice itself, your violation as a breathing human being, begins to feel like an illusion. You can want things or imagine things, but things, all of them, are exactly what you do not control. You're an economic unit, a pleasure unit, and you do what they tell you or else. Truck stop prostitution is a vocation of alienation where victims lose themselves a little bit at a time. They asphyxiate a little bit at a time as all the oxygen gets sucked out of their world. Strangulation for these women is not a sudden, unfamiliar catastrophe. It's simply the last lap in a slow spiral of death that began long before they turned their first trick. There's even a sick kind of poetry in this alienation upon alienation and the all-too-fitting demise of a choked-out lot lizard. At its core, strangulation is a form of deprivation. It deprives the body of its vital access to the world outside. It throws the human body back on its own internal resources and tests the viability of a human spirit as a self-contained unit of life. This is an experiment you can spare yourself. It doesn't work, because that's simply not what people are. Strangulation, like any form of absolute isolation, is the equivalent of a three-alarm fire drill that the body or the spirit will fail every time. If you ever really isolate it, that house will burn quicker than you can imagine. Life is relational, not in a theoretical or poetical sense, but as a biological fact, it always grows out from something else, like a family or a womb, and it always lives as an ongoing act through life in community. Even the cells of our bodies speak to this truth in their dependence on the world outside. We survive on every level by keeping open borders with the outside world. You can never stockpile life, you can only maintain it, or rather, you can only maintain the channels through which it flows. On a number of levels, the life of prostitution can slow this flow to a trickle. We're not looking to make any broad statements on the lives of willing, empowered sex workers. We do think it's a line of work that can be enormously damaging. That's not what this is about. What we mean to say here is simply that truck stop hookers are not exactly swimming in love and affirmation. They're not glowing every day with affection and security. That's just the headlights of the next stranger's truck. Whenever we draw the line between human flourishing and well-being on the one side and a life that has been sabotaged and ravaged on the other, this line does exist, and the lot lizards of America are on the wrong side of it. So there are no heroes in this story, but there is life. And wherever life is, people are in the process of being deprived of it. Our advice, as far as this goes, is this. Do something about it. We've been asked by countless people how they might be able to help, and they're almost always talking about victims who are already dead. They're talking about cold cases and crime scenes and news conferences and also just the excitement of cracking ciphers, solving puzzles and putting bad guys in jail. And we're saying, 
before you spend too much energy on that, and you should spend energy on that, go and help the living. Enter the life of a lesser than or a would-be not. Just any kind of outsider you might be inclined to despise and treat them with kindness, generosity and understanding. They may not be grateful. Actually, to save you some suspense, they probably won't be. But do it anyway. People are being exploited and diminished around you every day. Part of the battle is learning to see them. Please, at least begin to try. If you ever wonder about your interest in stories like these, if you're at all reflective about your motives or reasons for listening, please continue to reflect on that. If you're wondering if your investment in this story is that of a compassionate and sympathetic redeemer, or if you're more voyeur, it's easy to find that out. You can test it today for free with fairly decisive results. The injustice that you claim to hate and the isolation of which strangulation is the sinister and towering hypothesis is all around you. People are constantly being deprived of life across its many channels and dimensions. Step one, find them. Step two, help them. On the other hand, if you say that you care, if you make a lot of noise on social media, but blow past the next victim you encounter in real life, you have your answer. If this is you, you are just another popcorn-crunching tourist, one more well-intentioned poser, another sightseer at the eternal zoo of human misery with your slushies and Instagram posts. If you really care, go and live, which is to say, go grow and give and embellish your life in a loving community. Roll back the tide of isolation, and when you find that community, then bring other people into it. Open channels for people that have long been closed. Then fill those channels with the love no one else seems to think they deserve. It doesn't have to be a truck stop worker. It doesn't have to be someone with an exotic or impressive problem. It doesn't have to be a big story that you can tell your friends with twists and intrigue and enough oh my god moments to keep up a compelling Facebook story. In fact, it should be a quiet place in your life where no one else notices. That's how you know. It has no other reward. There's no payoff other than life itself. No Patreon and no reimbursements. No capable chronicler there to tell your stories and the next generation of slack-jawed admirers. It's too easy to compensate for our lack of care for living prostitutes by becoming overly sympathetic for dead ones. Put yourself in situations where women like Linda, stumbling blindly through the median of the interstate, can find you. And don't belittle them when they do. Of course, I don't mean literally stand in the middle of the road. I mean find those, and in between places in society, like the interstitial tissue of the body, into which those isolated membranes leak and rupture. Because that's where you're needed the most, in the remote places that are right next door, like underlit gas stations, parking lots, just a few feet away from shelves full of your candy bars and your Mountain Dew. But with all of that said, 
my primary reason for producing a second season on the Redhead Murders remains the attempt to identify the last two Jane Doe's. We have to give these women back their names. About a year ago, I met with the film crew for one of the most popular true crime shows on TV. We filmed for many days in Indiana, Kentucky, and Tennessee before they decided not to air their episode on the Redhead Murders cold case. They learned that Johns was dead, and because they couldn't interview him, they dropped the case. Now it's up to you. So, please, help us identify the bodies of Jane Doe number 4 and Jane Doe number 5. Foul play has always been a crowdsourced investigation. We have never worked alone, and we've never succeeded alone. Only through the dedication and savvy of our listeners like you. If you, or anyone you know, has any information regarding the identities of these women, please let me know. As always, you can reach me at itsfoulplay.com or Shane at itsfoulplay.com. But first, go find a stranger in need and treat them kindly. And before that, walk out your front door and whatever door is closest that takes you outside and pause to think of these women. Take a few minutes and breathe. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.